Hello, and welcome to the Curious Clubhouse podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jason, and if you're new to the podcast, this is a weekly podcast where I take you on a brief, informative journey into a specific subject or topic that has helped shape and influence today's pop culture. Talking about our favorite books, movies, TV shows, video games, you name it, we're talking about it. This week, we are talking about our next video game franchise, specifically the franchise known as Bioshock. I'll tell you a little bit about what Bioshock is, we'll go over some of the origins and inspirations behind this iconic franchise. This week, I'm adding a new segment that I am calling Curious Future, specifically the future of the Bioshock franchise and where it's headed. We'll also talk about some other properties related to the Bioshock universe, and as always, end things with some curious and interesting facts surrounding the Bioshock universe. So without further ado, let's dive in here and let's get curious. So what is Bioshock? Well, Bioshock is a genetically enhanced action-adventure horror-themed first-person shooter by Irrational Games. While exploring the underwater dystopia Rapture, the player is urged to turn everything into a weapon, biologically modifying their own body with plasmids hacking devices and systems, upgrading their weapons, crafting new ammo variants, and experimenting with different battle techniques are all possible. The philosophy, architecture, and society of Rapture were strongly inspired by the works of Ayn Rand, especially the novel Atlas Shrugged. The game itself is described by the developers as a spiritual successor to their previous PC title, System Shock 2. Bioshock received high praise and critical reviews for its atmospheric audio and visual quality, absorbing and original plot, and its unique gaming experience. Additionally, the series is notable for exploring philosophical and moral concepts with a strong in-game narrative influenced by concepts such as, such as objecticism and total utilitarianism and American exceptionalism. The series consists of three main games, Bioshock in 2007, Bioshock 2 in 2010, both of which take place in the 1960s in the fictional underwater city of Rapture. Game number three, Bioshock Infinite, published in 2013, is thematically and narratively tied to the first games, but takes place in 1912 aboard the floating city of Columbia. I said published there, I meant to say released. Of course, talking about games, not books. The games in the Bioshock series are first-person shooters with role-playing elements. While precise mechanics differ between all three games, they share common themes of players using combinations of weapons, the environment, and superhuman abilities called plasmids in Bioshock and Bioshock 2, or Vigors as they're known in Bioshock Infinite, to defeat enemies. These weapons and powers can be used in various combinations to aid in defeating foes. For example, shocking a pool of water will electrocute the enemies standing in the liquid. So yes, uh, in these games, you have the ability, as I mentioned, to acquire various basically superhuman abilities, which you gain by injecting what they call plasmids into your bloodstream, which basically are there's these liquids that basically combine with your DNA to basically make you somewhat of a superhero. The types of powers you can get in this game, you know, that ranges from allowing you to shoot electricity from your hands, you can become telenetic, you can shoot fire from your hands, you can shoot ice, uh, you have the ability, there's a plasma, I think, to control the weather. Uh, just There's all kinds of abilities that you can gain from these plasmids or figures if you're playing the third game. 
uh, all kinds of ways that you can combine them to your advantage to dispatch of your enemies in the video game. So really cool, really cool concept here. Obviously, very survival horror-esque, as I mentioned, first-person shooters. Some really cool weapons that you can get in this game. You know, you, you start out with a pipe wrench, I believe it is, and then you can move on, get this revolver, you get shotguns. You know, later on in the game, you get grenade launchers. You know, you're, you're typical first-person shooter, but it's very, uh, you tell it, it's very dystopian, you know, very old-timey, period-esque environments in these games really really cool so if you love a good first person horror shooter you know definitely check the bioshock games out if you haven't already so that's just a bit about what the bioshock games are obviously you know i i i, I didn't want to go too deep into you know plot details and things of that nature just specifically because these games in my opinion i played them multiple times and in order to fully appreciate them in order to fully get the value of just how incredible this trilogy of games is, you really have to experience it for yourself. It's it's very hard to explain, in my opinion. You know, just the the visuals in this game combined with the audio, you know, and in, in the in the dreary atmosphere and the darkness, it's just fantastic. And you really have to experience it for yourself to to get a full picture. But, you know, so that's just a little bit about what the games are without giving too much away. So now that we know a bit about what they are, let's talk a bit about the origins and inspiration behind this iconic franchise. Tell you a bit about who came up with the idea for these games. So diving into this here, developer Ken Levin founded Irrational Games in 1997 out of former members from Looking Glass Studios. Irrational Games produced System Shock 2, a sequel to Looking Glass System Shock. Levin pitched another System Shock sequel to Electronic Arts, but the publisher rejected the idea based on System Shock 2's poor commercial performance. While Irrational worked on other projects, Levin still wanted to create a successor to System Shock 2. Levin said, I have my useless liberal arts degree, so I've read stuff from Ayn Rand, George Orwell, and all the sort of utopian and dystopian writings of the 20th centuries. And having developed the System Shock franchise, some of my first games, I felt that the atmosphere was a good one to set for a dystopian environment, one we borrowed heavily from System Shock. Levin has also mentioned an interest in stem cell research and the moral issues that go around it. In regard to artistic influences, Levin cited the books 1984 and Logan's Run, representing societies that have really interesting ideas screwed up by the fact that we're people. Walking through Rockefeller Center near the GE building in New York City, Levin was inspired by the art deco styling of Rockefeller Center to make a similarly inspired space that had not been experienced in the first-person shooter genre. In comparison to the hybrid role-playing game slash first-person shooter stylings of System Shock, Bioshock was marketed as a shooter to appeal to fans of the increasingly popular genre. The gameplay, nevertheless, retained comparable elements. Plasmids and Bioshocks applied by EVE hypos serve the same functions as psionic abilities supplied by PSI hypos in System Shock. And 
System Shock 2, excuse me. The player needs to deal with enemy security cameras, machine gun turrets, and robots, and has the ability to hack them in both games. The player must manage supplies and ammunition and audio tape recordings, fulfill the same storytelling roles as email logs did in the System Shock games. So that's how, you know, that right there, you can see some heavily heavy similarities between System Shock 2 and how they kind of transition those over into the Bioshock franchise. Now, me personally, I have never played System Shock. I've never played System Shock 2. I know of them. I've looked into them uh, just, just due to their age. They didn't seem that appealing to me. And, you know, you, you I don't think you really have to. You know, if you're interested in that kind of styling, Bioshock is perfect. Because, again, you know, it's taking some of those core elements from those System Shock games and they bring them over into the Bioshock video games. And they do a fantastic job, in my personal opinion. So Ken Levin of Irrational Games stated in 2010 that the name Bioshock is not in reference to any specific setting or location, but instead a means of encapsulating common gameplay elements that reflects on their earlier games and the Bioshock series itself. To me, there's two things that make a Bioshock game Bioshock, says Levin. They take place in a world that is both fantastic and ridiculous, something that you've never seen before and something that nobody else could create except Irrational, but it's also strangely grounded and believable. The other thing that makes it a Bioshock game is uh, it's about having a huge tool set of power and a huge range of challenges and you being able to drive how you solve those challenges. And that is, that's incredible to me. You know, it really, just in that one little couple of sentences there, in my opinion, it really illustrates in my personal opinion, excuse me, the, the level of care that Levin put into creating the Bioshock universe. You know, he wanted to make a successor to System Shock 2, you know, but Electronic Arts, they wouldn't let him do that. So he decided to go a completely different direction, make a completely different set of games while retaining those core elements that he felt made System Shock and System Shock 2 so great, despite not being received that well by fans. Again, I've never played the System Shock games. They could be absolutely, absolute phenomenal games. I don't know. But I do know the Bioshock games, as I mentioned, are absolutely amazing. Definitely worth checking out. So that's just a little bit about the inspiration, uh, you know, the ideas where, where Levin got the idea for Bioshock, how he came up with the visuals of the game, the thematic elements that are in these games, you know, how he was able to come up with those ideas and ultimately put them into this incredible art form that is the Bioshock series. And like I said, I cannot, <laughs> there's no way for me to describe the visuals of these games. There's no way I could do it justice. This is, again, this is just a game series in order to get the full appreciation for it, in order to get the full visual value and impact, you really have to experience them for yourself. You know, there's really no other way I could put it because they are absolutely fantastic. They're, they're just gorgeous. They're beautiful games, very well done. And I can't wait for what the future of Bioshock holds in its next video game. And speaking of future, now that we know a little bit about the origins of the franchise, let's now dive into the future of Bioshock and talk a little bit about where this franchise is headed in the future. 
starting a first, of course, in the past. In February 2014, while promoting Burial at Sea, Episode 2. Now, before I go too far into this, Burial at Sea, Episodes 1 and Episodes 2 were DLCs that were later released for Bioshock. They are basically prequel DLCs that kind of give you a little bit of background into what led up to the disaster that happens in the first game. Really cool DLCs, very well done. I absolutely loved them. They're basically their own video game in their own right. So really, really cool. But I just wanted to make that clear there. Uh, Episode two of Burial at Sea, series, series director Ken Levin revealed that Bioshock Infinite would be Irrational Games' last game in the Bioshock series. Levin let go of most of the staff of Irrational Games in February 2017 and rebranded the division as Ghost Story Games within 2K Games to work on smaller narrative titles. The rights to Bioshock remained with 2K. In a 2016 interview, Levin explained that the pressure and stress of managing a large team as he had to for Infinite had impacted his health and personal relationships and rather than stay on to build a larger game, decided to leave the Bioshock franchise. Totally understandable. You know, I've, I have read and heard about so many people that have created video games, especially huge franchises that have become really popular. You know, they I, I won't say I've heard that they've experienced burnout, although some of them have, but the stress of making a, a huge game, very stressful. I can only imagine how stressful, you know, creating a series like Bioshock can be, because even though it's three games, it is very very huge you know very expansive universe you know it in it's it's i'm not going to go too much into detail you know because again i don't want to spoil it for you you know the key here is to get you guys curious enough to try these games because they are fantastic and i can tell you you won't regret it if you love a good first person horror video game so continuing on here following levin's decision 2k games stated that the bioshock series will continue thank the lord Telling Game Informer they look forward to exploring the next Bioshock. In May 2014, 2K, 2K Games stated that work on the Bioshock series was continuing with 2K Marin at the helm. Despite the fact that in October 2013, 2K Marin had reportedly been shut down by 2K Games. It was reported that work on this title had started as early as 2015 at the Austin-based third-party studio, Certain Infinity. However, by 2016, 2K decided to pull the project from Certain Infinity and bring it in-house, establishing a yet-to-be-named studio, as well as rebooting the development process. Previously, Kotaku had reported in 2018 that several employees from Hangar 13, another development studio within 2K Games, had joined a new studio in the San Francisco area and were working on a project known under the working title Parkside, believed by other Hangar 13 employees to be a Bioshock title. 2K formally announced in December 2019 that a new Bioshock title was under development, but was still some years from release. The game is being developed by a new internal studio, Cloud Chamber, with offices based in San Francisco, 2K Marin's old offices, and a newly established location in Montreal. The studio is led by Kelly Gilmore, who had previously worked at Paraxis. The lead staff include lead art director Scott Sinclair, 
who had worked on the first Bioshock, Jonathan Pelling as design director, having previously done level work for Bioshock and Infinite, Hogarth de la Plante as creative director after having worked on the other Bioshock games in numerous roles. So it looks like, you know, they, after several hiccups, after, you know, Irrational Games, Levin backing out of the project, you know, they've gotten 2K, it has just been bouncing around, creating new studios, smaller studios, you know, but there is a new game in development. Based on all the research that I've done, there has been a new game in development for a while, but it's no wonder that it's taken so long. You know, it's no wonder that it has taken so long for a new game to come out because just based on all of the shuffling around, all of the changing of hands, but I am glad just based on the research that I've done that all the people that are working on this game had a hand or other in the previous titles in the franchise. So it looks like we have some some good stuff to look forward to. So that is the future of the Bioshock franchise. You know, it's just a little bit about where it's headed. Obviously, you know, a lot of what I read obviously took place in the past. So it's more of a curious past rather than a curious future of the franchise. But, you know, we have an act. There is an active team working on a new on a new game. So that is the good news. And so now that we know a little bit about where the franchise is headed, let's talk about some other properties that exist within the Bioshock universe. You know, first up, novels. Of course, video games always have books based upon them, or at least most of the games that I have played. So Bioshock is no different. There have been two official Bioshock novels. Bioshock Rapture, a prequel to the first Bioshock, written by John Shirley, was published by Titan Books on July 19, 2011. Bioshock Infinite Mind in Revolt is a novella written by Joe Fielder and Ken Levin, offering insight to the world of Columbia and the motivations of Daisy Fitzroy, the leader of the Vox Populi, Box Populi. Mind in Revolt had an ebook release on February 13, 2013, with the hardcover version released later through the Irrational Game Store. Other print media includes art books for all three games Bioshock Breaking the Mold in 2007, Deco Devolution, The Art of Bioshock 2 in 2010, and The Art of Bioshock Infinite in 2013. So, obviously, a few novels there. I have the prequel book, the official uh, Bioshock Rapture, the prequel novel. I do have that. I have not read it yet. Uh, it looks fantastic. I can't wait to dive into it. Uh, but so, yeah, I'm hoping that that ends up being a really good book. So now that we know a bit about the novels, let's turn our attention to the puzzles, specifically specifically a puzzle game. Puzzle game pre-orders of Bioshock Infinite granted the purchaser with an access code to a browser-based puzzle game. Bioshock Infinite Industrial Revolution developed in conjunction with Lazy Age Studios. Irrational had concerns developing a pre-release puzzle game to tie into the retail title. Several of the Irrational team had played and enjoyed Lazy Age's steampunk-like independent games, festival-winning title Cogs and considered using them to build this pre-release game. Irrational believed the studio would be able to develop a game that would provide challenging puzzles in a steampunk style. According to Lazy 8's founder, Rob Jagno, the game's mechanics are a simplified version of the COGS puzzles and involve creating devices from basic machines like gears and pulleys to achieve a specific section or excuse me, to achieve a, a specific action. 
the game contains 59 such puzzles, culled from more than 70. Solving the steampunk-based puzzles grants the player unlockable items within the main Bioshock Infinite game once it is released. This I thought was really cool, because again, I have played the, all three Bioshock games, but I was not aware of this puzzle game. This, you know, doing my research was the first that I'd heard of this puzzle game. I did not know that it was a thing. So I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to be looking out for that, try to find that puzzle game, give it a whirl. It does sound somewhat interesting, uh, you know, so really, really cool there. Uh, so now let's move on here. Let's talk about the music of Bioshock. And I love this. I love the music of Bioshock. I, I can't hype the music, the soundtrack of these games enough because it's so, it's, it's just, it's so great. You know, it's so fantastic. The, the music just really sucks you into the narrative and into the plot and the story of these games. And it's very, very eerie and old timey and old records and, it's just really, really, really well done. So let's talk a little bit about the music of Bioshock. The orchestral scores for Bioshock, Bioshock 2, and Bioshock Infinite were composed by Gary Scheiman. Scheiman's music combines the influence of early 20th century classical music, illatoric music, and mosaic concrete with the return to Rapture in Bioshock 2. Scheiman had the had the opportunity to revisit the setting, writing new music while retaining some elements and motifs from the first game, such as solo violins and mid-20th century compositional techniques. While expectations were higher, Scheiman noted having played the original game and using an established style made the process easier. For Infinite, Scheiman had to create a new soundscape, evacuate evocative of the earlier era, feeling that classical music of the time felt much more European than American. He opted to use less full orchestration and simpler string arrangements instead. In addition to the score, the Bioshock series uses licensed period music as diegetic sound for Bioshock 2. More blues and religious music was included as it related to the sequel's themes. Infinite features an anachronistic covers of popular pop songs such as Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. So that's a little bit about the music of Bioshock. A lot of orchestra there, a lot of, you know, string, a lot of various old-timey, you know, period music used for these games, and it blends so well. Absolutely fantastic. If you play, if you don't play these games for their story, play them for their music. You know, I, I know that might sound weird, that may st say, sound strange, but the, the music in this game is one of the things that make up makes up this franchise, in my opinion, you know, especially those first two games. So if, if for nothing else, if you play these games, you know, if, if the story isn't necessarily for you, you know, the, the music will be. The music is absolutely fantastic. Uh, continuing on here, roughly a quarter of the Bioshock soundtrack was released on the internet with an EP featuring remixes of the game's music, including in the limited edition of the game, Bioshock's full soundtrack was released on a vinyl LP with the Bioshock 2 Special Edition in 2010. The scores for Bioshock 2 and Infinite were included in limited editions of their respective games. So that's a bit about the music of the franchise. I, I would love to get a hold of the vinyl Bioshock, the music on vinyl. Oh, I bet that sounds good. Uh, definitely going to have to track that down. So 
the another property here and arguably the best property that exists within the Bioshock universe, something that I've been waiting for for a long time, something that hardcore fans of the series like myself have been waiting for, is of course the movie. A Bioshock movie is finally being made. To elaborate on this, in May 2008, Take-Two announced a deal with Universal Studios to produce a Bioshock film to be directed by Gore Verbinski and written by John Logan. The film was expected to be released in 2010, but was put on hold due to budget concerns. Committed to the film, Rango Verbinski dropped out of directing the film, and Juan Carlos Fersendillo was in talks to replace him with Verbinski as producer. Throughout 2010, the film was in development, but faced difficulties due to the intended R rating. Verbinski later cited that by trying to maintain the R rating, they were unable to find any studios that would back the effort, putting the film's future in jeopardy. After the commercial performance of Watchmen, the studio had concerns with the $200 million budget for Bioshock, and Verbinski left the project. Universal subsequently brought a new director in to work with the smaller budget, but with whom Levin and 2K Games did not feel was a good fit to the material. Levin made the decision to end the project, believing that the film would not work with the current set of compromises they would have had to make. And I have to agree before going on here, I have to agree with that wholeheartedly. Because I remember, you know, back in 2010, you know, I remember... I don't remember where I was, but I remember looking it up and I remember reading about Verbinski being tapped to direct the Bioshock film. I was super excited. This was back in 2010. It's 2022, right? We still don't have a movie. Well, you know, based on what I read then as a, you know, uh, along with what I'm reading now is, you know, Verbinski wanted a, an R rating. And in my opinion, I have to agree. You can't have a Bioshock movie and it not be R-rated. And if you played the games, you understand what I'm talking about. These are horror-based video games. They're somewhat gory. You know, it, it's very dark. It's very gritty, very dystopian. It has to be rated R. In order for this movie to do well, in order for a movie adaptation or any adaptation of Bioshock to do well, it needs to be rated R. If it's a series, it needs to be rated TVMA. You know, you have to have that creative freedom to go all out, you know, with a project like this when it comes to Bioshock. So, yeah, definitely understand why they scrapped it. And, you know, he did say, you know, if you want me to make this movie, it's going to be roughly $200 million. And I can understand why, you know, the, the amount of water, if you're going to use leg legitimate water for an underground city, if you're going to build a set or even just CGI effects, you know, that stuff's expensive, you know, for a film of of what this of what would be a tremendous magnitude i can definitely understand why you it would need to be a 200 million plus project so but, but continuing on here in february 2022 it was announced that the film had re-entered development at netflix who will produce the film alongside take two and vertigo entertainment the film is being developed as the start of a potential cinematic universe francis lawrence was slated to direct with Michael Green to write as of August 2022. So that is super, super exciting in my opinion. It sounds like we're getting a brand new Bioshock movie via Netflix, and Netflix has put out some amazing content, and I have no doubt that this movie will be fantastic. And the fact that it's not just going to be a one-off, and the fact that they're trying to build it around a cinematic universe, fantastic in my opinion. I can only imagine 
where they're going to go with this. I do remember reading a couple of days ago that this movie will stick very close to the first game. It's going to be very faithful, which I'm sure a lot of fans are going to be relieved to hear, as I am relieved to hear. You know, I, again, the games are fantastic. I expect a film adaptation to be as faithful as possible in its own right. So that is just a few of the various properties that exist within the Bioshock universe. Obviously, the best of them, in my opinion, being the music and, of course, this brand new movie that we have coming via Netflix. I cannot wait. So now that we know about a few of the properties, let's dive into the final section of this week's episode and talk about some curious and unusual facts surrounding the Bioshock universe. So the first fact I have here, the first Bioshock wasn't originally set under the sea. That's interesting. I did not know this. Expanding on this, Rapture, the underwater city of the first Bioshock, is as iconic a video game location as any. However, initial plans didn't include Rapture at all. In fact, an early demo of the game that would eventually become Bioshock was set within the confines of a space station ravaged by monsters that had undergone genetic mutations. Prior even to that, the game was supposedly based on a tropical island populated with Nazis. There's no telling whether or not the space station or tropical island setting would have proved to be a superior option to Rapture, but it's safe to say that most people are happy with how things turned out. And I have to 110,000% agree with that statement. I am definitely glad that we have the underwater city that we have that is Rapture because, it is, again, it is beautiful. It's amazing. And honestly, after doing this week's episode, I'm going to have to go back and play these games again because they are incredible. So, yeah, the fact that it was, you know, would have taken place on a space station, would have taken place possibly on a tropical island. Very strange settings. I, I don't know if it would have worked with what the game is today. Very, very intriguing. So, yeah, definitely glad we got what we got in the final project. Our final pro, yes, final product, I guess I should say. Uh, curious fact number two here, little sisters weren't always little sisters. The little sisters have become one of Bioshock series' most enduring elements. The decision to save them or not, standing at the heart of the original game. However, they didn't always take the form of oddly spooky little girls. Initially, they were called gatherers, and they were presented as something akin to a sea slug. The problem, though, was that players didn't feel any empathy for the slugs, and so they had to be changed. Before arriving at the Little Sister idea, the team of artists at Bioshock creator Irrational Games had gone through concepts as wild as having the gatherers presented as dogs in wheelchairs and what has been referred to within the studio's art team as the frog with the tunnel in its anus. Um, I, upon reading that, I, I'm not sure what to make of that. I'm not. I'm not sure how to take that. Uh, yeah, little little strange there uh, for sure. But definitely glad that we got the little sisters that we got. And kind of expanding on this, if you're not familiar with the series itself, in the, in the first couple of games, there are these little girls, little little tiny kids and they're called Little Sisters. And they're followed around by these giant hulking creatures known as Big Daddies. And they're in these like old-timey subnautical suits, you know, that, that like you have uh, suits that divers wear to go under the ocean nowadays. Well, back in the day, long time ago, they wore these giant nautical heavy wetsuits with these giant 
metal, look like fish bowls made out of bronze on their heads. You know, and that's what these big daddies wear. You know, it's their entire outfit. And they follow these little sisters around, these little girls, and they protect them from the splicers or anyone that may want to do them harm. Well, while they're protecting them, these little sisters are going around to these splicers, especially dead splicers, and they're extracting from them a substance that is called atom. And in the in the video games, you use this atom to purchase upgrades for your weapons, you know, to purchase various ammunition for your guns to create uh, different types of ammunition you know so atom is your currency in the bioshock universe and they are it is harvested by the little sisters and in the video games you have the choice to either rescue a little sister after having dispatched its guardian the big daddy or you can harvest the little sister for its atom thus killing it and based on the decision you make will result in the type of ending that you get in the video games. There are multiple endings for the first couple of Bioshock video games. So that's what the Little Sisters are. They're really, really cool, really, really interesting. Uh, They add depth and creativity to the series, I think. Very, very fantastic. So the fact that we almost had something completely different, dogs and wheelchairs, frogs, uh, very weird, very strange. Definitely, definitely would not have worked. Uh, I, I might sympathize with a dog in a wheelchair you know that that seems kind of sad you know especially if the dog got ran over that's very you know very sad i'm, I'm a dog lover love dogs uh have a dog myself so i could i could sympathize with that but i'm glad they went the direction they went with the little sisters so moving on here curious fact number three fahrenheit 451 is referenced throughout all the games in all three bioshock games some form of the code 451 is required to unlock a blocked door that the player will at some point come across. Sometimes a simple 451 would do. At other times, you might need to add a zero to make it 0451, or you might even have to reverse the numbers to make it 154. This consistent inclusion is a reference to Ray Bradbury's novel Fahrenheit 51. The same coding convention also appears with regularity in other games that Bioshock developers have worked on, including System Shock, System Shock 2, Deuce X, Deuce X Human Revolution, Gone Home, and Dishonored. The allusion to Bradbury's novel is particularly relevant to the Bioshock series, given that both feature dystopian societies in which the powerful are seeking ways to effectively control the population. That is really, really cool. Uh, I have, again, played these games multiple times, but I did not make the Fahrenheit 451 connection. I, myself, have not read Fahrenheit 451. I I know people that have read it. They say it's fantastic. Uh, It's definitely something that I'm going to have to check out, especially now that I know that it is so closely tied to the Bioshock franchise. So, curious fact number four... The 1893 World's Fair inspired inspired Bioshock Infinite, and boy did it. In honor of the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus setting foot on the Americas, the 1893 World's Fair held in Chicago was given the title The Columbian Exposition. Some of the highlights of the show included Nikola Tesla's demonstration of alternating current, George Washington's Poly, George Washington's polyphase system as a means of distrib- distributing that current, all manner of guns, and the first ever instance of a moving public walkway. These technologies and the sense of wonder that they inspired in people of 
the time came to play a major role in shaping Bioshock Infinite and dictating how it presented its themes to the player. Even the name of Infinite's city locale, Columbia, was taken from the fair. So really cool there. I definitely wanted to include that fact. You know, we've, we've all heard of the World's Fair. You know, we, we've all heard about it. You know, whether we've read about it, whether you heard about it in school, you know, we, we've, we know of the World's Fair. We know what it is. You know, we've heard about it. So the fact that it had such a big impact and helped inspire Bioshock Infinite is fantastic. And it, and it really does. There's a lot of things, a lot of uh, thing, uh, stuff that is thrown in Bioshock Infinite that represent the World's Fair, you know, or that come from the World's Fair, you know. So really, really cool inspiration there. Definitely wanted to include that. So curious fact number five and our final fact of the episode here is input... If you input the Konami code, you unlock Hardcore Mode in the first game. This was, I was not aware of, so I thought this was really, really cool. And I'm sure there are many Bioshock fans out there who also was not aware of this. Definitely going to have to try it out. So yes, if you input the Konami code, you unlock Hardcore Mode. By default, first-time playthroughs of Bioshock Infinite are available in Easy, Normal, or Hard Difficulties. A level of extreme difficulty entitled 1999 Mode is locked until you've played through the game in its entirety. However, if you enter the fabled Konami code at the title screen, then you can unlock 1999 Mode whenever you like. The naming of 1999 Mode is a reference to Irrational Games' 1999 release of System Shock 2, a game that offers a significantly more challenging experience than Bioshock Infinite. Despite being able to unlock the mode whenever you like, we'd recommend that you become familiar with the game before you do, you've been warned. I have to definitely agree with them there, uh, absolutely, 100%. If you've never played Bioshock Infinite before, you know, definitely play on normal, Play on an easier difficulty before you try 1999 mode, because um, I'm sure that it is terrifyingly hard. <laughs> I myself have not tried it. Not gonna try it. Um, you know those games are challenging enough for me on normal mode. So yeah, but that is it, guys. That is this week's episode on all things Bioshock. I hope that you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoy doing it. I love doing this podcast. I love doing this. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic, and I love the Bioshock series super super fantastic video game series again i hope that this episode has at least inspired you to try the games out try them out like i said if if the story isn't for you the music in this universe is fantastic you know again we have that brand new movie being made by netflix you know so really really cool stuff coming down the line for bioshock new game is in development so yeah definitely check them out guys you know as always Please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. That's super important. As of right now, that is the only way and best way that you can help me find new listeners, help us grow this podcast, help me continue to do what I love. You know, all subscriptions, all likes, reviews, super appreciative. You know, appreciate everybody that listens. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, you know, if you could, Apple Podcast, even if that's not your preferred podcast player of choice, if you could head on over there, write a review about the show as it helps us out so, so much. So, you know, do that if you get the chance. You know, again, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope that you guys are enjoying this podcast. I hope to continue to do it for a very, very long time. So, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe out there. I hope everybody is doing well. And as always, stay curious.